Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Yesterday, we, uh, we kind of been thinking about Antioch. We were in a different Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia, and really trying to evaluate one of Paul's sermons. What Paul does in his sermon is he shows that Jesus is the answer, right? He is the fulfillment of um, the law of Moses. He's the fulfillment of kind of the Jewish expectation. And the, the verse that I thought a lot about, like verse 38 and 39 Jesus can set you free from the things that, in a way that the law of Moses could not set you free. You know, you've been looking at the law of Moses to set you free. It couldn't really free you. Now Jesus has come and he can set you free. And, and we mm-hmm. talked about how he does that. Um, maybe we should start. I, I talked a lot about some um, ways that Jesus, or the, some things that we all want to be freed from. And I, uh, I'm joined by Blake Rogers and brand new staff member Barrett Fisher. This is, you've done the talk back before, though, haven't you? No, um, you've done something. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, preached at Christ Covenant a couple times. You in those headphones least. is a familiar sight. That's all I got to say. Uh, but the things Jason Dees dreams about. That's right. Barrett, talk back. Barrett Fisher, Fisher and and uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe I'm just remembering a dream. I'm glad to be here. Um. Anyway, though we talked about things that everyone wants to be freed from. We all want to be freed from pain, suffering, evil. We all recognize that we don't want pain. We don't want suffering. We don't want evil. We want to be free. We talked about being free from our own sin. We actually had an interesting question. If you're talking to somebody that doesn't believe in sin, how do you prove that there is sin like that category? The, the, the thing that I've always used there is kind of what I referenced yesterday. Um, you know, really two things and they're both related. The first one is people may not recognize sin in themselves, but they always recognize sin in others. Mm. Uh, And there's this old Francis Schaeffer quote, you know, all God would have to do condemn us is to hang a tape recorder around our neck and at the judgment playback for us all the times that we Mm -hmm. condemned others, all the judgments that we made in our lives. Mm. So the, the question is, is there sin or is there not sin? on what basis are you making judgments? Like, what are you appealing to and why? Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? Mm-hmm. How, can, how can you say anything is wrong? And if you are saying something is wrong, then what is wrong? I mean, so at some point you have some category for disobedience or sin. And all we're saying as Christians is this, if there is order in the universe and you disobey that order, that is what we're calling sin. And we're saying that the consequences for that are significant. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything. Yeah, I mean, I think you did a good job of, you know, putting it on, you know, the individuals, even like speaking to our current age, right? It's, you know, if you are the rule of what is right, obviously people aren't getting on board with your agenda or else you'd just be able to do what you want. So you you end up having to understand whether you believe in a transcendent truth or if you believe that you are the arbiter of truth. Right. You have to understand that things don't always go your way. Things don't always seem to go 
orderly. And we'll get to postmodernity in a second here, but the, the scary thing about postmodernity is something I was saying yesterday is we live in a world where the possibilities are basically endless and the celebration of the possibilities are also basically also endless, endless, right? Yeah. So it, if I believe that I'm Batman or something like that, and I put that out on their internet, they'll, the, I'll, I'll inevitably have a following of people that also believe that I'm Batman, and therefore I'm allowed to kind of live in this world where I am Batman because there's enough people affirming mm -hmm. my belief. Whereas, you know, 200 years ago, if I was living in a little village where there's only 45 people and I started to believe that I was Batman, I probably couldn't find enough people to affirm that versus mm. all the other people in the village. These are the only 45 people I know that would say he's actually not Batman. You know, maybe I could find two other people that I convinced that it was Batman, but there were still like 42 people out there. I'm the 45th person in this scenario. <laughs> there's still 42 other people out there. It's like, he's really not Batman. It would be hard. It would be hard for me to continue to believe that narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, so we, we, we digress. So people want to be freed from pain, suffering, evil. They want to be freed from their own sin. They want to be freed from death. I mean, that one we all basically agree on, right? I mean, what's going to free us from death? Um, and then, it, but it isn't even interesting. Some of the conversations that we're, that people are having now, is it possible to make the human brain basically live forever? Um, and just with a lot of the new, like, gene editing technology. I mean, there's some interesting conversations that are happening right now in the scientific community that really in some ways are at least related to an, an attempt to overcome death. Mm -hmm. and, then the th and then the fourth one, uh, we want to be freed from some sort of an accountability. Mm -hmm. Again, modern people say, well, there is no um, accountability. There is no judgment. Um, but I don't really think people believe that. I think, you know, if you said, you know, is it really the same for Hitler and for Mother Teresa? Maybe yeah. if I'm totally naturalistic and I have only naturalistic categories, I would have to say, yes, they both just die and decease. But I kind of feel like there's something yeah. in our hearts that's like, no, there's, it's different. Yeah. The true, like, you know, postmodern narrative can, can never really be lived out. Right. So, for instance, you see crime on, on video now, whether in, in, whether it's like another, um, you know, situation that involves like police um, brutality or whatever, or, um, you know, you've got these shootings happening, unfortunately, like shootings at the FedEx thing just in Indianapolis this past week. And like, there's been like all of these mass shootings and you read these articles and sometimes you even can see these hard and difficult things and you're forced to make a judgment. That's right. You're always forced to make a judgment. You never leave seeing that. Yeah, you don't say, unmoved. oh, you know, the yeah. natural world at work. No, you, know? you never yeah. say that. You know. yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, you're moved. You're stirred to make a judgment right. about right. what is right and wrong. Which is, yeah. which, is, which is really why modernity has failed us. But let, let's get there in a second. So I started talking about the, what the actual verse talks about, the law of Moses. And the law of Moses fails us because nobody can be freed from it. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you could actually do it, you know, maybe, maybe that would work, but no one can live by the law of Moses, by any external law. And to be honest, nobody can live by, um, nobody can live by even their own laws. I mean, this is the Francis Schaeffer quote. And that was the point I was making toward the end with Benjamin Franklin. 
Um, he basically wrote his own Ten Commandments. There was 13, 13 virtues that he was going to live by. But he only obeyed them in a utilitarian sense. Mm-hmm. And once they served him, and, you know, Franklin's an interesting story. He moved, um, he was actually b- born in Boston, but moved to Philadelphia because Boston was too puritanical for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he went there, he made a living, did well. He was a printer, um, obviously gained all of this national attention. But he, he was kind of a, uh, I'm trying to think of like a modern day, it wasn't like he was the New York Times. He was like the other news source that like was kind of a joke at first, but then it gained such a wide reading that it actually became mm. something. Um, I think that's the way, that's the best way to think of, yeah. you know, really what Franklin was kind of doing. But anyway, it became this obviously very famous, very not- notorious person. He was obviously an ambassador for the United States, founding father. And he kind of gave up on the virtues because... He didn't really need him anymore. He had power. He had influence. He didn't need temperance or Mm -hmm. whatever his virtues were as much anymore because, you know, they had served him. And and I think that's the problem with the law is is that even if we do kind of obey them, we 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 a lot of times only obey them in a sort of utilitarian sense. They they aren't actually producing virtue or righteousness in our hearts. So the law can't free us. I don't know any any thoughts on that. I mean, I think it's. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious. Yes, yeah, right. And then, so what we've done is we've said, let's get out of the courtroom. Let's let's create a naturalistic worldview. And this is what we we're talking about. Like that can't free us either. We we it doesn't actually answer all of the questions of the human heart. Um, you know, even to your point you just made, Blake. Like naturalism. Nobody looks at the murders in Indianapolis and thinks about them in the same kind of way as when you see, you know, one of these hawks that fly around here, mm-hmm. get a little squirrel. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you, or like an armadillo on the side of the road. Right. Just get ran over. You know, right. yeah. it just happens, you know, maybe somebody's very sad about that, but, uh, but yeah, you, you categorically just totally different. I think there's a, uh, you know, you, we read in the text about the law of Moses, and I think sometimes it's hard for us reading about um, Israel and the law of Moses and trying to keep. I mean, we're not we're not Jewish, and we we weren't trying we haven't tried to keep that law, and so I think sometimes it's it's difficult for us to to look at to read a text like you read yesterday, and and you know, say, well, how does that relate to my situation exactly? I'm not trying to f- follow the law of Moses. I'm not trying to follow these, you know, 10 commandments or whatever per se for, for my salvation. Um, and so I, I think, I think one thing that's helpful is to try to try to think through, like, how does this apply to me? Like, aside, you know, uh, apart from Christ, like, how was I trying to live out the law of Moses? Like, how was I trying to to live out some law that was bringing some kind of salvation to me? And I think that's I think that's kind of what you're saying is that these freedom from these things, we are trying to do certain things with our life that that are trying to achieve some kind of freedom. And and when you get to the end of those, there's not really freedom. Well, and that's I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because this is something we were talking about and I, and I you know, hope the connection was made yesterday. Why did we spend so much time talking about modernity and post-modernity or whatever else? 
And that's what I was really trying to say is like, look, everyone's trying to do this. Everyone's trying to pursue freedom in a sense. And, and, and what is that freedom? What is freedom from pain, suffering, and evil? Well, it's this idea of shalom, right? It's this idea of wholeness. How can this world be made right? What is freedom from sin? It's this idea of like personal righteousness. What is freedom from judgment? It's this idea of peace with God. What is freedom from death? Well, it's maybe freedom from the consequences of our sin or the consequences of, you know, this fallen world and going back to peace with God. So, right. So in all of these things, you know, people use a lot of different labels. Um, but if we had peace with God, if we didn't have sin in our lives, if there was total shalom, then we we would be free. We wouldn't be so caught up with all of these things. And 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 so the law has tried to do that and it has failed. And so really what the enlightenment is all about, somebody said, you know, I think one of y'all said, explain what modernity is. Modernity, I would say, is a reaction to the like heavily religious middle age period. Um, and so you had a medieval kind of church. There was a theocratic kind of understanding of the world, government, church, kind of the same thing. It wasn't about, you know, the theme of that time wasn't really about loving and delighting in God. It was a lot of fear-based kind of control law. And there was obviously a lot of fighting. You know, these are, these are when there was a lot of religious wars going on that people were very, very tired of. And so modernity, I would say, is a reaction to that. And it was like, can we create a worldview that does not include God or at least an active God? And so the beginning of modernity was more of a deistic kind of world. And so there was a God because there were just some questions that, you you know, people were very concerned with. I mean, this is founding of the country, even the natural law, right? Things that we didn't need a divine law. Now, Christians talk a lot about natural law, but really natural law, the kind of natural law works in, in a lot of ways. We're often used to say, we don't really need the Bible, right? We have natural law. We have law that we can observe. We have law that we can see. So let's get rid of the holy books. Let's get rid of the church structure and let's create a world that we can kind of understand these things naturally. And then, of course, you know, in the 19th century, Darwin came along with natural selection and really what he did there, I mean, I think the best way to understand Darwin is, yeah, Jeremy Brooks gave a great paper on Darwin the other day. And and yeah, and I'll say it so Jeremy can hear me. Like the, the, the thing that Darwin did is he gave us like, he kind of took away this divine telos that we needed, right? There, we could see that the world was moving and had some sort of like, there was a motivator, I guess, if you will, which he you know, put forth his natural selection purpose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Survival of the fittest. Right. And so we didn't need the telos of God in order to explain like what was going on in the observable world around us. And so that really kind of brought on uh, a modernity that was atheistic, right. That didn't really need a, a God at all. Um, but back to the freedom conversation, um, you know, what was the, how did you get free in modernity? How did you get, how are you saved in modernity? And it was enlightenment, right? It, it, it really was, the answer was like, you have the right ideals, you observe the right, the world rightly, you use the right kind of reason and you will be enlightened and you will be free and you will be 
you know, that was its answer, enlightenment, in, in education, right? Now, the enlightenment gave us a lot of really good stuff, right? We became more educated. We discovered more about the world. We understood a lot of the ways that the world works. So I think every Christian should actually celebrate some of that and say, actually, there was a lot of good things in that. But ultimately, education doesn't free us. Enlightenment doesn't free us. It's given us a lot of really bad things. Colonialism. Barrett used to live in mm -hmm. Indonesia, you know. I mean, there was maybe some good things that came to Indonesia through colonialism, but like obviously not, a lot of people died and were massacred, you know. Yeah, not many. Because they weren't enlightened, you know. That was the thing. Like, let's enlighten them, you know. And it obviously led to the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century that are very mm -hmm. famous, like Soviet Union, China. And so, you know, there was a lot of bad things that happened in that time too. And so the reaction to modernity, let's just be enlightened, let's just observe the world rightly and reason correctly was post-modernity, which is kind of the phase we're in now. And that's rather than looking, you know, around or to the natural world for salvation, Let's look within for salvation. Let's look within to be free. If I can really understand myself, then I can really be free and express myself rightly, mm -hmm. then I can really be free. Well, and I think in, in modernity, there was this overarching narrative that this enlightenment thinking can essentially free us. I don't, I don't know if that's always the language that's used, but essentially this enlightenment kind of thinking can free us. And when we, when, when you get, you know, a, a couple of centuries into enlightenment thinking and you even get into the 20th century and you start to see all these negative effects and how the world's not becoming a better place, like, like it's being free. It's actually becoming in a lot of ways, like a, like a worse place and crime is going through the roof and the the you know gap the inequality gap between the, the rich and the poor and 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 all these type things are are happening in the 20th century and so and so then you move into the postmodernity where you don't have this overarching narrative basically everybody creates their own narrative so you get to create your own narrative you get to create your own narrative and so now there's like literally billions of narratives that can that can take place in the world and not just this overarching one and you're kind of left to create your own narrative and i and i think that's largely where america is probably still is in in mainstream thinking is that like you create your own narrative i would even say that we're still getting into postmodernity I, I don't know that we've fully felt the postmodern era you know in a sense like the enlightenment took a little while to get cranked up into modernity. And I would say like really like the height of modernity was probably early 20th century. Um, World War One, you know, World War Two, like those are kind of the results of the height of modernity. Um, and then of course, post-modernity was, you know, after the, you know, after the crescendo, there was the reaction. Mm -hmm. I would say that we haven't, we're, we're certainly not reacting to post-modernity yet. Um, and I think people are still kind of getting into, and again, as the technology <clears throat> continues to increase, um, you know, where does it end? Yeah. I don't know what the reaction even looks like. Hopefully revival, yeah. right? I, I mean, mean hopefully a return to the Lord. I, I would hope so. But it's like from a, you know, it, I don't know. It, it, it's just a, a weird time to be thinking through whenever every, every man does what is right in his own eyes and... Uh, you now have the means to justify your own narrative in your own 
you know, through technology and through uh, groups and tribes and all this kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know what it looks like. It'll be interesting to see. Well, and I think I think bringing it back to the to the text that you that you preached yesterday, Jason. Um, I think this is what Paul is trying to is trying to show. He's 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 obvious, it, It's a narrative that he's going through in the text, and he's starting with he's starting with Moses. Um, in another text, he would even go further back to Abraham. And so he's showing that narrative that comes through and there's this guy, David, and, you know, then he has, he has this offspring, Jesus. And basically what he's saying is like, there's this narrative for this small nation country called Israel, this people called Israel. And, you know, he, he says it in, uh, in verse 47, he's saying, He's saying, I, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So what he's saying is that this small narrative for Israel that happens through Jesus is actually true for the entire yeah, world. world. It is actually the salvific narrative for everyone. Yes. And that is very, you know, in a postmodern world, that is very like... Offensive. Huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oftentimes offensive. Yeah, or yeah, offensive or just strange, right? Right. Sure. Um, how could there be, you know, one truth mm-hmm. in a world of your truth? Well, and I think that's why we we almost find ourselves being like a, a, a mini Israel, if you will, because we're we're saying there's one narrative for the whole world. Our Messiah is the Messiah. Is the Messiah. And I, I think we say that with grace and I think we say that with humility. And I think we also say it, you know, saying that... Um, you know, if someone will believe in him, you will find freedom. That's what Jesus has to offer. That's yeah. And that's really the the sermon, right? And that's what I was trying to get to and whether it was clear or confusing, because these are hard things to think about. Sure. Right. I probably shouldn't have taken all this on in the capital campaign week, but I, I wanted to show like gospel faithfulness in any age. There's, there's all, we're, we're always going to be living in an age of competing ideas, just like they were here. I mean, there was this, you know, law of Moses, idea. There's other ideas even at that time. And obviously today, some people I would say are still stuck in modernity. Um, and, uh, but, but obviously we're, we're increasingly living in a more postmodern world. And so those ideas are still at play today. And Jesus actually brings freedom in the midst of all of these competing ideas. Yeah. And I think it is exhausting to have to try to continually justify yourself and work to create your own narrative and that is the beauty of the Christian gospel is there is it's a, good a freedom in just submitting to this true narrative, that which is ultimate, that which we will all be judged by, you know, of whether or not we were found in it. And um, and that that is the great imitation of Christianity is you, you don't have to toil. You, you can trust that Christ is the ultimate reality for our lives. Well, and we talk about freedom. Freedom from what? I would say that what Jesus has to offer is actually freedom from self. The postmodern mindset is that you're not free from yourself. You, You actually get more into yourself to create your own narrative. What Jesus is offering is freedom from self. He says, if anyone would deny himself and come after me and follow me, uh, and take up his cross. Yeah, yeah, take up his cross. Put himself to death in a sense. Right. And so and so that's what Jesus is he's offering freedom from self. And it's interesting that like when when someone is free from themselves, you actually become the person that God has ultimately wanted you to be. That's good. Yeah. 
one other thing that I want to pivot, I wanted to give a little like warning, I guess, and this is something that I, as I was preaching the sermon, really it was actually coming to me as I was preaching the sermon. There are kinds of Christianity, and I say kinds of Christianity, that aren't real Christianity. Um, and so I do think there is a kind of law of Moses Christianity which just presents a new kind of law. You're justified by some sort of obedience to some law. We call this legalism, right? Because I don't drink, because I don't smoke, because I don't dance, because I go to Sunday school or whatever, I am free. I am a good person. I am justified. So that what I would call like the law of Moses Christianity. But there is a like mo modernity Christianity, and that's where Christianity just becomes this like, enlightened ideal thing. And so I have the best ideals because I'm a Christian. And I think this is this can be kind of dangerous and you know it takes away the repentive nature of Christianity. It takes away the experiential nature of Christianity. It takes away the love nature of Christianity. And it really Christianity really just becomes like being able to argue ideals really really well. And then I think there's kind of a postmodern Christianity. And I think this is kind of taking off right now, and it and it and it really more is like this is my narrative of the Lord. This is how the Lord is dealing with it. it it's it's the less uh, it's less emphasis on Scripture and what God's revealed, and more emphasis on like you know this you know God told me this, and this is happening in my life, and this is kind of my little you know Christian story. Um, and so I do think even as Christians, even like people that are committed to following Christ, we actually have to watch out for like what I would say cultural narratives, like uh, creating some sort of a syncretistic Christian experience that actually is no Christian experience at all. Mm -hmm. All right. We agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's interesting because strong nods, strong I, nods. I would say that all of us at least struggle, if not kind of fall into some kind of syncretistic Christianity. Right. And so we, we, we all have cultural influences, things that are, things that are surrounding us that play a factor in, in how we, how we live out our Christianity. So I, I think it's always good to do some self-reflection and just, yep. and just ask yourself, like, what is, what is part of my life? You know, I mean, this is this is a part of all the all the enlightenment kind of modernity was the separation of church and state. So oftentimes, with with that, what 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 happened is that you've got your public life, which is kind of your work life and your social life, and then you have your private life, which is your religious life. Right. That's not a that's not a biblical view of how to of how to live out the Christian life, and so. Um, so I, th I think it's good to just do some self-reflection and just ask yourself, like, what am I possibly allowing to, to enter in that might be mm -hmm. syncretistic? Yeah, that's a good word from a missiologist right there, you know. Pierre <laughs> spent a lot of time on the mission field and have to think about these things. I think, um, you know, as I was thinking about, like, freedom from something, um, you know, I think this kind of fits into what you're saying, I think. Um, I think obviously the Atlanta narrative that Jason kind of talks about, which is you get a deal, you remodel your house and you go on a killer vacation. Does that get it right? You that's know, it. That, Making that's, deals. Yeah. So, you know, it's this, this, um, you know, enjoying all that life has to offer as almost Lord of it. Right. It, it's almost a desire from, um, to escape or to be free from toil. 
and work. And I, th- I think like, um, obviously like our culture, one of the amazing aspects of our culture is that, um, you know, financial freedom, the ability to not be, um, uh, enslaved to build wealth and all these kinds of things. That's very, you know, that one is one that I think a lot of people, even within our church and even myself, like all of us are touched by that reality. Right. But while God is not opposed to, um, wealth and good stewardship and whatnot, um, I think a lot of times we think about money and savings and security because we have this sinister desire to live outside of a outside of an existence of toil, which is the one that God has given us, right? It's it's one that where work is hard. And we want to save up money and retire well so we don't have to work. We don't have to work. But Jesus, and we even talked about this um or the apostle Paul rather, we talked about this yesterday morning uh, with the serve team. Like he offers a different way. He says, no, actually everything that you do, the work that you do, the difficult things that you do can be done for eternal good and God's glory uh, in Colossians chapter three. And uh, that was kind of the uh, benediction at the end of the service yesterday. But I think to draw this back to syncretism, right? There's a way to be, uh, to marry Christianity and the financial security that the American economy offers um, in a way that that um, could be very dangerous for our hearts. It's not allowing us to to just freely live and sacrificially give and be a servant to the needs around us because we're we're kind of hoarding up for ourselves. Yeah, this this would be a good conversation to have, like on its own conversation, like right. the kind of syncretic or syncretic or whatever whatever the word is syncretistic syncretistic, um, you know versions of Christianity that that like American Christians should watch out for. And I do think there's like a postmodern version. I think there's like a modern or what I'll call like enlightenment version. I think there's like a financial version that there's a lot of different versions. Um, you know, you were overseas, you were looking, you were kind of pushing against maybe an Islamic version. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of versions. And so, um, but anyway, that's probably a conversation for another day. Any closing thoughts, guys? No. Good. All right. Hey, guys, uh, for Barrett Fisher and Blake Rogers, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.